What a mighty God we serve. <laughs> Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. Before I have you turn in the word of God tonight, I want to take a special time to say thank you to this congregation of believers, the church. I'm not addressing two churches. I'm addressing the church. The Bible says that in Jesus dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But the Bible also says that now that he has paid that ultimate price, that now we are that body. I'm thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. And I want to say something truthfully, sincerely, honestly. Um, as I mentioned, I've been doing this nine years, and that's, that's not really that long, I guess. But I counted it up today just for fun. I've been in 110 church services in the last 140 days. I, I'm in church a lot. I'm in church so much, I, I probably get to go to heaven twice. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I was standing over here worshiping with you tonight, and I thought, man, I'm so glad I get to be in church again. And with that being said, it's very rare that my family and I feel such kindness. I'm not saying people are rude to us, but the level of your kindness, the level of your friendship, your support, your love, your hospitality has totally transcended the norm. I, I told Sister Sizemore, she's been spoiling my little four-year-old. And I said, now be careful because we're going to get to the next church. And he's going to say, where's my snacks? Where's my, where's my toys? He's going to go up to the next pastor's wife and say, where's my toys? Yeah. And, and, and me... <laughs> I'm going to go to the next church and say, where's that kindness? Where's that apostolic fire, you know? Man, we have been so, so blessed. Just so blessed. Thank you so much for your kindness. I haven't heard, this is rare in this hour. I have not heard one negative word come out of the mouth of anybody in this place throughout this week. It ought to be that way. There's enough negativity going on out there. Don't let it get in here. This is the church of the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Sizemore and Brother Urshan, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have trusted me to stand in front of some of the greatest apostolic people that are about to set this world on fire. Amen. Um, if you want to turn your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And also, I'm going to read one verse that, from 2 Chronicles, chapter 7 and 12. But while we're getting ready to read that scripture, I want to tell you a testimony. If you were here last night or were able to check into the sermon last night, I preached about being apostolic and that nothing can stop an apostolic church. 
And I challenged you with the truth from the Bible that you're not apostolic until you go to the world. Because to be apostolic means to be the sent ones. I received this text today from a friend of mine. And I texted him while I'm sitting here tonight. And I said, oh, by the way, did you watch last night's service that I preached? He said, no, I don't even know where you're at. And so this is what he sent to me today. A testimony from where he was preaching on Sunday. Several days ago, three days ago in Fresno, California. And he said, Sunday, I preached on apostolic worship. I spoke about Judah, who had a son named Pharez. His name means break forth and how their genealogy led to Emmanuel. The church began to worship and I felt led in the Holy Ghost to have them worship outside. He said, I told them about the holy rollers on Azusa Street. And how apostolic in Greek means the sent ones. I told them they aren't truly apostolic in their praise until they do it outside the building. Watch this. He said, mind you, they are in a busy storefront. In a parking lot of other businesses and restaurants. He said, so they poured out of the building into the parking lot and into the streets, praising and singing in tongues and dancing in the spirit. He said, I walked outside and asked the Lord to send them a sign that this isn't all hype. He said, I kid you not, dot, dot, dot. A guy walks up with his son and says, Hey, my son and I were at Dutch Brothers Coffee, and he asked me, Dad, are these people apostolic? He said, So I asked asked him, this is now the preacher, he said, So I asked this man, what is your son's name? And he said, This is my son, Judah. And he's curious if this is apostolic. (laughs) The prisoners are listening to us. Whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not, they want what we have. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house. Everybody say, filled all the house. Where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Somebody shout, fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Everybody shout, filled. With the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. God appears to Solomon by night and he says to him, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place. This place. He says, I've chosen it. To myself for a house of sacrifice. God says, I've chosen 
this place for me as my house of sacrifice. This place. I'm going to preach to you tonight on the subject. This is where the fire falls. What I want you to do is I want you to lift up just one hand and I want you to just point a finger in the air like this. <laughs> and now I want you to establish this is the place where the fire falls. I want you to do something by faith and sort of just point it out to the city and declare this is the place where the fire falls. But before you're seated, I want you to do something personal and point that finger at yourself and declare this is the place that God has chosen. And this is where the fire falls. I'm making a declaration right now that I'm not going to be dry and barren anymore because this is where the fire of God falls. Oh, somebody just clap your hands. I feel the gift of faith here. There are miracles in this place. There is healing in this place. Yes, I feel deliverance from the help of the Lord in this place right now. Why don't you just shout for a moment? Everybody say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. Pump me up over here if, if you got any left. This is where the fire falls. It was John the Baptist who prophesied when people asked him, Are you the Messiah? He said, No. But he's coming. In fact, the one who's coming after me, he is mightier than I. His shoes I am unworthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You have to forgive me because through my years at the Urson Graduate School, I, I, I don't know if, if, if it was my fault or I, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I never really learned maybe the context of the hermeneutical difference between the Holy Ghost and the fire. But to be quite honest with you, I don't need a commentary to tell me the difference. I know when I've got the Holy Ghost. And I know when I've got the Holy Ghost in fire. <laughs> See, you don't, you don't need a commentary to tell you that somebody's on fire. You don't need a dictionary, you don't need an encyclopedia, you don't need a philosopher, you don't need anybody that's even smart to tell you they're on fire. You know when somebody or something is on fire. You know when you yourself is on fire. Fire does not care about its situation or circumstance. Fire is not concerned about its reputation. Fire is not concerned about the critics or the accusers. 
Fire's not concerned about the potential gossip that might occur on social media after church. Fire's not concerned about what stands in its way. Fire is not still. Fire is not silent. Fire is not stagnant. Fire is moving. Fire is contagious. People are drawn to fire. It's getting about that time of year, isn't it, when you can plant a chair out in your back porch and just build a fire and just stare at it. What is it about that little fire you built with two little cheater logs from Walmart? <laughs> what is it about that? Some of y'all got that fireplace that, man, it's so hard to build that fire. You just go like this. Psst. Turn on the switch and there it is. It's not even real. Well, I guess the fire is real, but it's kind of been manufactured. It's an electrical fire. It's. But what is it about a fire that even causes you to look at something for hours on end and just be mesmerized by it? In this hour that we're living in, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. But in this hour that we're living in, I want to be sure that I've got that fire of his spirit shut up in my bones. In this day that we're living in, and I asked you a couple of nights ago, maybe it was last night, I forget. It all blends together at this point. But I asked you, how many of you want to go to heaven? And the hands went up. And I said, how many of you want to walk with Jesus? And the hands went up. And then I said, how many of you want to walk with or be used by Jesus? And the hands went up. And so in this hour... I don't just want to be saved. I don't just want to have a relationship with this, which is great. But I want to be consumed by the fire of God's spirit. If you continue reading in Acts chapter 2, you know that Peter stood up with the 11 and he began to talk to them. The mockers, the onlookers who were. They were mocking them and they said, what does this mean? And Peter stood up in verse 14 and said, you men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words that these are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He continues on and he picks up from verse 28 of chapter 2 in Joel. And says that afterward God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. But we need to understand tonight the context of this is that. Because we are getting ready to have a this is that kind of moment. And I believe that if we can understand the context of this is that. In the book of Joel, we'll be more readily to believe that we can have a this is that suddenly move of the rushing mighty wind of God happen in this hour. When Peter said this is that, we need to understand the context of what this is that really meant. 
if you read the three chapters of the book of Joel and study it out just a little bit, you will find that Joel began to prophesy to the people of Judah and Jerusalem in the midst of a global catastrophe that threatened their very existence. He began to prophesy in the midst of a global catastrophe that threatened their very existence. Are you with me? What was this catastrophe? It was a locust plague of unprecedented proportions that had struck the land. Millions of voracious insects arrived in wave after wave, consuming every green plant and vegetable garden, grain crop and grapevine and fruit tree, and even the grass upon which their sheep and goats grazed. And in the face of such a catastrophe and disaster, all human and animal life was at risk. In the context of this day, the ancient lives of this civilization, they had no insecticides. They didn't have offspray to kill the locust. They didn't have stocks of non-perishable food for emergencies. And they didn't have the programs, the relief agencies that we have today to bring them food supplies in their dire situation. They were dying. Commentaries say that this plague, for whatever reason, was most severe upon the children and the elders. That they were losing their children by the dozens and elders by the dozens. But in the face of this plague, this locust plague that was devouring everything, the effects of this plague were further compounded by a drought that had left the land dry and burned. They had no grapevine. They had no vineyard. They, they had no crop, meaning they had no sustenance. They had no animals because the animals were dead because they could not feed off of the land. They had no food. And remember that the grains... And the animals was not just food for their body. It was also a sacrifice of their worship. Meaning that in this day, the context of this is that. The people of Judah, the people of Israel, they still went to the temple. Oh yes, they still went to the temple, but they came empty handed. Feeling as though they had nothing left to offer God. In their worship. Have any of you felt that at all. Over the last couple of years. Now we've had revival this week. We've had church this week. We've had great moves of God this week. But has anybody come to church. Feeling I'm empty handed. I have nothing left to give. Everything in my life is dying off. My joy and my peace and my anointing and my ministry and my calling. My family. Everything seems to be falling apart. I still go to church out of obedience and even tradition. But I go to the house of the Lord feeling as though I have nothing left to offer Him. It was in this moment that the prophetic anointing of the Lord came upon Joel. <laughs> and Joel began to write in Joel chapter 2 verse 12 saying, God said, now, somebody say now. Now, 
Now, therefore, saith the Lord. Forgive me. I, I didn't realize I got it in the New King James. So don't backslide. Just stay with me. He said, now, therefore. Somebody say, now. When is now? In the midst of the global catastrophe. When your kids have died, your elders have died, you ain't got no food. You've lost some weight involuntarily. First time ever that you've stuck to your New Year's resolution. But it's not by choice. You're going to church empty-handed. You haven't been used of God because you're grieving the loss of your son and daughter. And God shows up and says, Now turn to me with all your heart. With fasting. With weeping. With mourning. Isn't it the wisdom of God to call a fast when you ain't got no food in the cupboard? See, it's only the wisdom of God that could say, well, since you're suffering, you might as well do it for me. Uh, you missed a good point right there. See, it's just like God to say, you know what? I'm not going to let the devil uh, get the credit uh, for your lack of sustenance. I'm not going to let the devil get the credit for your loss and your weakness. While you have nothing to eat, you might as well call a fast and say, let's do it as unto the Lord. Verse 13, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. See, in those days, the sign of sorrow and grief was rending their garments and pouring dirt over their heads. They were doing that every day at the loss of their family, at the loss of their livestock. And they were rending their garments. And God says, turn to me and rend your hearts. God begins to prophesy and he tells them that the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach or a shame among the nations. In verse 25, he begins to prophesy still, saying, I will restore to you the years that the plague, that the locust has eaten. The context of the book of Joel is a global catastrophe consisting of a locust plague and a drought. And God says, get ready. Because I'm going to restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Watch this. And praise the what? There's sometimes you can't praise his performance, uh, but there's all times that you can praise his name. Y'all missed it. We might have to get back up here and sing Breakthrough because <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they missed a good point right there. Uh, he said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to show up and restore to you the time that you have lost. I've never seen a backslider that's prayed back through come up to me and say, yeah, but in the eight years that I was messed up with drugs, uh, you know, I, I, I sold off my car to, to get another fix and I lost my house because I went bankrupt. Uh, can you pray for me that I'll get the car back and the house back? I've never heard that. But every time they say, uh, I've lost so much time. 
I, I regret the time I've lost. I regret the time the enemy of this world has stolen from me. And God says, I may not give you your car back. I may not even give you your kids back. But lift up your eyes. I'm going to give you the time you lost. What the devil stole from you. I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to. I'm going to do more with you with the time you've got left. Than the time that you have lost. And you will praise the name. Okay, I'm going to preach a long time. <laughs> You're going to praise the name of the Lord. Are we or are we not the people of the name? You see, it's difficult to just praise his name when he doesn't give you the stuff that ought to come with the name. Even Moses, even Moses complained to God. When Moses obeyed the words of God and did what God told him to do, even Moses said, God, I spoke to Pharaoh, Exodus 5, I spoke to Pharaoh in your name. But he didn't let them go. Watch what he says. And you didn't show up and do your part. That's in the Bible. Exodus 22, Exodus 5, 22. I did my part in your name. Pharaoh didn't do what you said he was going to do. And where were you at? Neither did you deliver your people at all. And God just sits there on the throne like this. Oh, yeah, I ain't got to watch. I'm, I'm in eternity. God just sits there. Go, go ahead, complain. Go ahead. When you're done sucking your thumb, let me know, and then I, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on behind the scenes. He finally pulls his thumb out of his mouth and says, okay, I'm done. And Exodus 6, Exodus uh, 6 and 2, it's the same conversation. They just divided it up in chapters. Exodus 6, 2, God says this to Moses. Watch this. He says, hey, Moses, let me tell you something. First of all, I am the Lord. God, why didn't you show up and do it like you said you're going to do it? Why didn't you? Oh God, I did what you said. I spoke in your name. And God says, let's get something straight, brother. I'm the Lord. I'm in charge. <laughs> See, there, there ought to be a praise in your spirit when you realize this ain't about me. This is about him. Watch. If you go read it in Exodus chapter 6, I know you're not believing me because I'm quoting scripture. But in Exodus chapter 6, uh, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3, first of all, he says, I'm the Lord. We got that? Head nodders. Got the head nodder. You head nodding? Okay. He says, second, second point. You remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Moses says, yeah, I remember them. He says, well, I only showed them that I was El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. They're the patriarch fathers, but they never got my name. You have my name, Jehovah. Missed it again. <laughs> Man. See, what God said was, number one, when it doesn't happen like you want it to happen, remember two things. Are you ready? Man, if you can remember these two things, you can march through any valley. You can go through any storm. You can survive anything hell brings against you. Number one, God's in charge. 
Number two, you still got his name. God says, watch, God says, I did not give my name to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're complaining, even though I revealed my name, Jehovah, to you. In other words, he said, is my name not enough for you? Or do I have to perform for you to praise me? <laughs> is my name not enough for you? Is the fact that you've been sanctified, justified, and blood washed by the only saving name, the name that's above every name, that at my name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that at my name demons tremble. And just because I didn't do it the way you wanted me to do it, are you sure you don't want to praise my name? I'm going to preach. <laughs> what somebody needs to realize tonight is this. It didn't happen how, and it didn't happen when I wanted it. But get out of my way because I still got the name. I still got the name. He hasn't healed me yet, but I still got the name. He hasn't made a way yet, but I still got the name. He hasn't brought my daughter back to church yet, but I still got the name. And as long as I've got the name, I can march right through hell and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I got the name. I got the name. That's why I can sing, can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop praising his name. I just. I can't stop praising his name, Jesus. Lift your hands right now. Who is God ministering to? You have felt lost. You have felt confused because God didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. But there is a rhema word of revelation for you to understand. I've still got the name. I may have lost my job, lost my family, lost my home, lost my sanity. I might be in a straight jacket, but I've still got the name. It's not my sermon, but it is. You know what I'm saying? It's not my sermon, but it is my sermon. My sermon is this is where the fire falls. But what you don't realize, if we lose the revelation of the name, we lose the fire. I don't want to lose that fire. I'd rather have the worst singing, the worst worship team, and the worst preaching, and the worst programs, and the worst building, and the worst air conditioning. But we got the fire, baby. 
going to deliver this word, but I want you to do something I've never asked the church to do. I want you to extend your hands right now. I have felt under attack all day because God said I was going to deliver this word. Would you just pray for me as a vessel of God's word and spirit because his word's about to be delivered and there's about to be a breakthrough. I feel a resistance on me right now. I come again. Hi, Eric. Somebody just rejoice with me for a moment. Ah. Yes. You may be seated. He said, after the rending of your heart, which I believe happened on Monday night, and it wasn't intentional, I... I told a friend, he said, how'd it go? I said, man, I started preaching this. And at the end, God said, no, 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 no. Purify your heart. After the rending of the heart, here comes the restoring of his spirit. I will. I feel it now. That, that prayer worked. He said, I will restore to you every day, every second, every hour you have lost. But he didn't stop with restoration. He, he brought the prophecy of revival in verse 28. He said, it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the plague? No, he didn't say that. After the drought? No, he didn't say that. After the rending of the heart? After the restoration of my power? Right in the middle of your plague. Right in the middle of your drought, right in the middle of your chaos, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is where the fire falls. How many of you are waiting until everything goes back to how we want it to be? We ain't waiting, baby. Turn to your neighbor and say, we ain't waiting. <laughs> because this is where and this is when the fire falls. I'm not waiting until the dawning of a new year, 2022. We thought that was going to happen at the dawning of this year. But it didn't happen. Things seem to get worse. The scripture says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But this is where the fire falls. Second Chronicles chapter 7, the Bible says that Solomon had made an end of praying. Watch what it says here. They got it for us. It says he had made an end of praying and the fire came. See, that's very significant because natural fire goes up. Supernatural fire comes down. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord. Watch this. Feel. The house. I was preaching the general conference in Australia last year on January the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, whatever, those dates right there. And on the 4th, that morning, the longer story short, I woke up at 3 a.m. to the sound of the fire alarms going off. I know you probably don't read the Australia Times every day, but 
last year and the year before they were the nation was being devastated by one of their worst uh, national uh, tragedies that they've ever seen in, in the history of that nation. And it was a wildfire that swept throughout the entire nation of Australia. That continent or that, that landmass of Australia is as big as our 48 states, the mainland. I didn't know that, okay? Not as smart as you guys, but it's a big landmass. And the fire was sweeping across the entire nation. So when I got there, the city was full of smoke, the, uh, the capital of Australia, Canberra, and we were in the convention center having general conference. Ministers told me, they said, look, my house is about to catch fire. My neighbors just sent me a video. The fire has reached our neighborhood, and we drove 12 hours to get here knowing we would never see our home again, but we came here to see our two kids filled with the Holy Ghost. Right. On January the 4th, the, the, the smoke alarms went off, and uh, I, I jumped up, you know, out of bed, said, oh, the building's on fire, you know. And they, the lady came on the PA system. She said, don't be alarmed, which is an oxymoron. It's an alarm going off. Don't be alarmed by the alarm. She said, there's no, no fire in the building. It's just smoke. I thought, I've preached in a lot of places like that. <laughs> Joke. Y'all missed it. It's okay. And... Uh, and she said that we'll get the alarm turned off momentarily. An hour later, I'm about to put my Holy Ghost aside and march down the stairs and say, what's going on here? You know, at 3 a.m., I'm ready to sleep. And I called down. She said, well, every building in, in this city, their, their fire alarms are going off. Smoke detectors going off. And the fire departments are having to go to all these big buildings and businesses and turn them all off, all the system. We're just waiting our turn. Finally, they got there. They turned it off. I found out that... I, I, the superintendent called me a few hours later. He said, we're having to cancel the rest of General Conference because we went to the convention center. We walked over to the convention center, and when we opened the door, smoke just billowed out of the building. He, he said, look out your window. And when I did, I couldn't see the skyscrapers just across the street. The city was so full of smoke. I went outside, and for about, I don't know, a couple minutes, I stood there, and my lungs began to burn because I was just breathing that, that smoke from the fires. And now, I'll tell you, just this is a little snippet of the story real quick because you may be wondering what, what happened. Well, we ended up having general conference because that day, although the day was canceled and the night services were canceled, the young people, the teenagers and the young adults, they got a hold of God. And they said, we're not leaving without having church. They, they went to each other's hotels room, hotel rooms and Airbnbs, and they literally prayed and fasted all day and through the night. The sun rose the next day. I got a phone call at 6 a.m. from the general superintendent. He said, Hey, good news, we're having general conference again. I said, What? What happened? He said, Open, open your, your curtains. I opened my curtains, and it was the clearest day you could possibly imagine. Hallelujah. But on the day that it was canceled, on the day that it was canceled, uh, I said, Well, what do I do? He said, I don't know. Just stay in your hotel, stay in your room, and we'll give you further notice, you know. I said, all right, well, I'm going to take advantage. I did some praying and some reading of the word that day. And I thought, man, this is crazy. I mean, general conference canceled because of a national fire, you know. And this is crazy. The building is full of smoke. This huge na na national convention center is full of smoke. And they couldn't even go in. And I literally opened my Bible for whatever reason to the book of Second Chronicles. And I began to read. And it said that 
the priest in verse 2, they could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. They had the same problem. <laughs> it wasn't smoke. It was supernatural fire. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. What a cute story, huh? They couldn't go into their church. I hate to use this curse word, but they were quarantined out of their church. Couldn't sit on their assigned seats. I've noticed y'all got assigned seats here too. I haven't been to one Pentecostal church that don't have assigned seats. In fact, well, I did go to one. And that's because I, I preached their very first service. And they, they hadn't, you know, been religious enough and traditional enough to have their assigned seats. It was their first service. Besides that, everybody, everybody's got their, you know, assigned seats. It helps the pastor know who's here and who's not here. So don't move. They couldn't sit in their assigned seats. They couldn't sing their little cute songs. Sister Sally Mae couldn't sing her little solo. Couldn't have their little 38-minute sermon. Didn't have the announcements. Scripture says the priest couldn't go in because the fire and the glory of God filled his house. Whatever reason God said, I'm going to have church by myself today. Do you mind if I push you out of your little comfort zones? And this is the first recorded parking lot service that I read of. They said, well, we can't go in, but we ain't going home. The people bowed themselves. It says pavement. They bowed themselves on the ground with their faces on the pavement. And said, I don't care if you take away our building. I don't take care if you take away our traditions. I don't care if you take away our little schedule. What I want is the fire to fall. Can I, I'm not a pastor, okay? So, so you, just, you just write this off as some ignorant evangelist that doesn't have a clue what he's talking about, okay? All right, are you ready? Let me tell you something. Our schedule should be plan B. Well, we, we got to open at this time. We got this prayer. We got this announcement. And we got this offering. And we got this song. And then this heaven. And then this song. And then this day, And then this sermon. And we got this. That's great. But that's plan B. You want to know what plan A is? This is where the fire falls. <laughs> I don't mind us going through our schedule, but the thing I want more than anything else is for his glory to fill his house, his fire to fall, his power to move, his word to be spoken. This is where the fire falls. You can be seated. See, this is why I'm so crazy. But there's two reasons why I'm crazy about this. I hope y'all don't get offended over the last, I've said it a couple of times, that, that we, we went through a tragic moment last year. We buried our daughter. Don't be offended, please. I'm not acting like I'm the first one. I know I, even in this room, I'm not the first one or the last one to bury a child. But I'll tell you this. 
When we held that little girl, she lived 16 days. She didn't have a problem with her. She was born a little premature, but the doctors were beside themselves that they could not fathom how, how strong she was. They said she won't be able to breathe on her own, won't have a heartbeat, won't have nothing. She had all those things and more. The doctors every single day would just be astounded. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to build this up. I'm telling you the truth. Every day we'd walk into that room, they'd say, this is one of the strongest premature babies we have ever seen. And there was nothing wrong with her. On day 16, for whatever reason, God said, she's mine. They called us at 6 in the morning, and they said, your daughter is gone. We got there within minutes, and I held that little baby a pound and a half. I held her for six hours as her body grew cold and gray and stiff. I didn't cry at first because I said, watch God. He's going to heal this baby. It's going to be a testimony. He's going to resurrect her. Just watch me and my wife, we stood there and we just watched. But a little bit, and a little bit later, that, that expectation went to faith, and then that faith went to hope, and then that hope kind of transitioned to doubt. And I started wondering, oh my goodness, three hours later, she's getting cold, and now tears start to flow. I said, God, please do it. I went from speaking it, the word of faith, to pleading God to do something. God, do it now. You know I can't survive this. I can't survive having a funeral for my little baby girl. God, you know I don't, I don't have the strength for this. I've been a fraud these last several years. I've been preaching it, but God, I can't survive this. I can't live this. My wife put her arm around me, and, and she said, she said, we were crying together, and she had held her several hours. I had held her several hours, and my wife put her arm around me, and she said, we will lay her down for the last time when we can praise the name of God, because it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who taketh away. I'm going to tell you something right now. I didn't feel praise. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel worship. But the writer said, you got to make a joyful noise. And that was the hardest constructive work I've ever done in my life, trying to build a, a joyful noise in the death of my daughter and say, I will praise you, God, in the high and the low, in the good and the bad, in the up and in the down, because your name is great and greatly to be praised. But, but this is what, what I learned through some of this. First of all, heaven's a whole lot sweeter now. I never wanted to go to heaven so bad in all my life until I knew my daughter is there waiting for me. <laughs> I had a doctor just several months ago. I've had several surgeries on my knee, and he told me, he said, you will never run. You will never jump. He said, you'll be able to walk a little bit, but he said, you won't ever run again. You won't ever walk again. <laughs> I, I'm a little stubborn and hard-headed at sometimes, and I, 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 I didn't take it as if the devil was tempting me, but I just took it as a challenge. I thought, you, you don't know what's going on. I said, you, you think this knee problem is the biggest problem I've been through? I'm about to run more aisles, and I'm about to dance more dance. I, I don't know what dance move I'm dancing, but I just want to dance. You know why I want to dance? Because I want to make sure I go to heaven. Is dancing a heaven or hell issue? Yeah, it is. For me, it is. Because I know if I stop running and dancing and shouting and worshiping God, it's going to lead to other things that grow cold in my life. You know what? You know what? You know what it tells me? When I stop dancing for Jesus, it tells me that I've become complacent enough to be satisfied living in the heat of the fire, in the smoke of the fire. I don't want to live in the smoke. I don't want to just feel the heat. I want to know that I'm on fire for God because I want to go to heaven.
Let me tell you another reason why I'm so crazy. You can sit down. Let me tell you another reason why I'm so crazy about this. And Pat, I'm not going to get into all the details. You know all this. But, but I wasn't raised in this. And I know there's probably a lot of people here, too, that weren't raised in this. My grandfather, I'm fifth generation Pentecostal, okay? I had one guy come up to me when I said that, came up to church. He said, wow, you're fifth generation? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm like 28th generation. I thought, well, I was just kidding about fifth. I'm 29th generation. <laughs> Infinity. <laughs> he must have done that, you know, DNA thing and just found he's all the way back to Adam. He discovered. <laughs> I'm fifth generation apostolic Pentecostal, but when I was two years old, my grandfather, who was pastoring the, the UPC church in Austin, Texas, he left this. Because he had some bitterness. He had a disagreement with somebody in, in, in the organization. Had a disagreement that caused him so much bitterness. That he allowed the bitterness to separate him from his walk with God. Which is the same thing that led Esau away from, from, from his promise. Right, right, right. Hebrews 12 tells us. That it was the root of bitterness that springs up. That causes many to be troubled and defiled. My grandfather left this when I was just two years old. So... I was born into this, but I wasn't raised in this. My grandfather started an independent church. I'm not against independent churches, but my grandfather left and started an independent church with bitterness in his heart. He had no intentions of ever leaving anything, ever compromising any truth. In fact, there's two things that he never did compromise, and I believe it, it, it ended up being the sort of the cocoon of grace for us. He never compromised the oneness of God. He never compromised the, uh, the baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But everything else was up for grabs. He threw everything else out the window. He thought there would be an easier way. We really don't have to live this life of, of separation from the world and unto God. And we don't really have to be as consecrated as I thought we had to be. And we don't really have to have, you know, this, this radical relationship with God. We can just kind of come and go as we please. Because of the bitterness in his heart, his bitterness justified his compromise. His bitterness justified his decisions. Well, forget you then. I'll do it my way. So this is the church I was raised in. I'm just giving you a quick picture. I was raised in a church that probably 95% of the people in our church were out of the UPC. Our church in Austin, Texas was the church that if you don't want to be in the UPC and you don't, you don't want to live that life of holiness and consecration and have a real relationship with God. Oh, but you still want to dance and speak in tongues and you still want to do whatever. You go to our church. You, you don't want to be, you, you don't want to compromise everything. You, you still want oneness. You still want Jesus' name, but you can throw everything else out the window. They came to our church. Our church, if I could put it like this, we were a very powerful church, but a powerful church with no boundaries. Like a pinball, just kind of all over the place. I saw with my own eyes as a kid growing up, I saw a gifts of the Spirit in operation. I saw people healed. I saw people delivered. I saw people filled with the Holy Ghost. I saw tongues and interpretation. In fact, God used me sometimes in that way. But yet we didn't have a relationship with God in the church that I was raised in. You know, when Jesus said, I never knew you. You used my name, but I never knew you. You cast out devils, but I never knew you. You were used in the gifts, but you never knew the one that made the gifts. And I've used the illustration before as my wife, she's given me for a gift a pair of Nike tennis shoes. And I could say, I walk in the gifts that she gave to me. She gave me these gifts. I, I walk in the gifts. These Nike tennis shoes. 
But I couldn't show up to the CEO of Nike, Phil Knight is his name. I couldn't show up to the owner of Nike, the creator and founder of Nike, and say, hey, man, what's for supper? He would say what Jesus said. Get away from me before I call the cops. Well, Jesus said a little bit differently. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But he would inevitably say the same thing. I don't know you, but I walk in your gifts. But I don't know you. There's a lot of people that walk in my gifts all over the world. But I don't know them either. This was the church I was raised in. Broke my arm playing shortstop at Louisiana State University at 16 years old. Came home. My father was, was trying to cheer me up. He said, you ought to be thankful that, that you get to play baseball at 16 years old. He said, because I didn't get to. I said, why not? He said, because I was Pentecostal. I was like, what does that have to do with playing baseball? He said, because we didn't have time to play baseball. I said, why didn't you have time? He said, we had six-week, eight-week, 12-week, 24-week revivals without a night off. And I'm up here bragging over the last 140 days I've been in whatever, you know, without a night off. And he said, nobody wanted to miss because they knew they would miss something from God. He said, I remember wheelchairs being emptied, and I remember that evangelist preaching hell so hot. Uh, I, would lay, I would lay in the altar all night. My mom would have to call the school and say, my son won't be at school today. Some kids want him to lay in the altar all night, don't you? <laughs> Woo. My dad told me, he said, we didn't have time to play baseball because in the summers, We'd go to Crusader camp, which was kids camp, then junior camp, which is 12 to 15 year olds, then senior camp, which is 15 to 18 or 19 year olds. Uh, then we'd go to camp meeting. And then when all that was done, we'd go over to Louisiana and do it all over again. He'd say then during the fall, we'd have fall revival. We'd have youth convention. We'd have youth this, youth that, youth, all these events. He said, we didn't have time to, for ball. We, we knew God's coming back. He started telling me, he said, the best preaching, man, the best preaching I've ever heard was those Pentecostal preachers. He said, the best singing was those people. And we had good singing in our church. He said, but those be the best singing I've ever heard. Now, this is my dad, who's now the pastor of this charismatic church, telling me this. The best singing I've ever heard was those apostolic people that would sing with the fire of God. He said, man, I remember those camp meetings, those youth camps. He messed up when he said, the best looking girls are those Pentecostal girls. They know how to dress. They know how to worship. They know how to do their hair. He said, man, those are the best. Look, that's why I got me a Pentecostal wife when I was your age. <laughs> I thought, maybe I need to go find me one of these, you know, get me a word from God. <laughs> and so my dad, I'm telling my dad, I literally, I told him, I said, I want to go see this for myself. See, I told you last night, and, and y'all kind of, I don't know if you, you believed it or not, but I said, you can stop a Pentecostal church. You can't stop an apostolic church. See, I had been to a Pentecostal church before, and it was deader than dead. If that's grammatically correct or not, it was deader than dead. And I was so blown away by these people that had certain things in their life for no good reason. Because I was thinking, man, we don't do the stuff that they do, but we got more power than they got. I had been to a Pentecostal church. I won't tell you where. But, man, it was dry and dead, and there was no move of God. It's because the fire doesn't go around your city looking for a, a church sign that says, is this one UPC? The fire looks for hunger. Did you know that? 
I've already gone over my time. Okay. Okay. There, there is a timeout rabbit trail. There is a prayer director, Tracy Feld. Anybody know the Felds? Brother John Feld? Brother John Feld pastors in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. His wife is the prayer coordinator, prayer director in there. She's a powerful woman. She had a vision a few years ago of this bird's eye view of North America, and it was dark, and there was this dark cloud hovering over North America. She said, God, why are you showing me this? And all of a sudden, pew, there was a flicker of fire here and a spark of fire here. And there was a flame of fire here. And it started, it started popping up all over. And she said, wait a second, God. I need to see where this is so I can call the UPC church in that, that area and tell the pastor, get ready. There's a fire coming your way. And the Lord spoke to me and said, it's not a UPC fire. He said, it's a hunger fire. He said, I'm not just looking for one organization. He said, I'm looking for one soul that is hungry for my spirit. So, I got to hurry. Man, I've gone too long. I'm so sorry. I got to hurry. Okay, so I'm 16 years old, and my dad tells me about this camp meeting called Texas Camp Meeting. And he says, you got to go to Texas Camp Meeting. I said, all right. He sends me with my, my best friend growing up, David. Me and David, we went to Texas Camp Meeting. We were late to Texas camp meeting because we stopped at the gas station to gel up our hair, hairspray, because I was going to get a word from God. We show up to Lufkin, Texas. If you've ever been there, this, their, their campground is, is great. And the, the tabernacle is massive. And we pull up into the parking lot. They're like already on the second song. And that building is shaking like Noah's Ark on the flood, man. It's just. And I kind of just. What am I getting myself into? This isn't the Pentecostal experience that I've had before. <laughs> and we kind of slowly walk in to the building. And there's probably eight to 10,000 people there going berserk. I mean, they're doing laps. I'm trying to dodge the hair whipping. <laughs> I've never seen so much hair in all my life. <laughs> and David grabs me and said, come on, man. I'm just mesmerized watching you crazy people. Just, he's like, come on, man, we gotta find an empty seat. We gotta find a chair. Come on, hurry. We're looking for an empty pew. And I'm thinking, do I go up front, side, back? What do I do? You know? And we're just looking for some place. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God hits me, 16 years old, hits me so hard, I fall to the floor. And I'm on the ground and I'm praying and I'm shaking. And I've already spoken in tongues before. I've already been baptized in Jesus' name. But there was something there I had never felt. It was the fire. I asked God these words at 16 years old on my face in that tabernacle. I said, God, what is this? I said, God, I've never felt this before in my life. For the first time in my life, I heard God speak to me and say, I used to show up like this at your church. But you have pushed my presence outside the church because you have become more conformed to this world than you have to my word. He said, but now I stand at the door of your church and I am knocking. And if anyone in your church would hear my voice and open the door, I would come back into your church like this. 
I got up off of my knees. I grabbed my cell phone and I ran out of that tabernacle and I called my dad, who's now the pastor of this charismatic church. And I said, Dad, listen to the word of the Lord. And I told my dad everything God had told me. And my dad nearly speechless says, I'll have to call you back and hangs up the phone. He yells at my mom and says, Pamela, get in here. She runs in and he says, something has happened to our son. Pack your bags. We've got to get to Lufkin right now. She said, what is it? Is he all right? He said, he's fine, but we've got to go there because our son has just found what our church has lost. My mom and dad came to that tabernacle that night. Too late to, to, to catch that service that night, but they came the next day. My mom and dad had to humble themselves because when they left the UPC, it was on the front page of the tabloids of the UPC uh, 16 years prior. And so now here they are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people that know them, know what they had done, know that they had left and compromised. They humbled themselves and walked down the aisle and came up to the altar where God refilled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost, restored them with the fire of His Spirit. My father and mother are pastors of a united Pentecostal apostolic fire filled, Holy Ghost filled, Jesus' name. What I'm trying to say is this. Uh, when you get the fire involved, uh, it's never too late. When you get the fire to fall, uh, it's never too late. Uh, the fire can turn your family around. Uh, the fire can set your feet uh, on solid ground. Uh, the fire can deliver you out of any situation. Pastor Sizemore and Pastor Urson, what I have felt upon my spirit to, to preach this night is to tell you, I don't know the context. Grace Point Life. Uh, tree of life. I don't know. I don't know the context. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And no church does. But here's what the Lord has so urged me to preach tonight. No matter what happens. No matter where we go. No matter what we do. We've got to establish this is where the fire falls. I feel like declaring that word again. This is where the fire falls. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care where we congregate. I don't care if we got to go back to Zoom calls. This is where the fire falls. This is where the fire falls. I'm not going to let go of the fire. I'm not going to water it down. This is where... I don't care. 
I'm not trying to be rude about our government. I respect our government, but I don't care if any government official mandate, decree, bill, or law says you can never go back in your building again. Fine. Give me a place to pray because this is where the fire falls. I don't care where I am. I am the temple. That's why Paul said, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's why God gave Moses the law of the, of the tabernacle, which said in chapter 6 of Leviticus in 12, 6 and 12, and the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. Verse 13, the fire... The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Somebody say it. The fire will never go out. If I've got anything to say about it, the fire will never go out. If I've got anything to do about it, the fire will never go out. It was Brother Mark Morgan who had a, a vision. He had two visions. He said there was one vision that a ball of fire came falling through the church. And when it erupted in front of the altar, in front of the pulpit, he said it exploded. He said tens of thousands of angels with swords came marching out of the fire. He said in the second vision, another ball of fire came down from heaven. And when it exploded in front of the altar, he said it was almost the same thing as the first. But this time it wasn't ten thousands, tens of thousands of angels with swords. It was tens of thousands of preachers with Bibles coming out of the fire saying, let's take our city. Let's take, let's take this land. Let's take this territory. Let's go get a soul. Let's go win a neighborhood. Let's go baptize people in the name of Jesus. Let's go pray people through to the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can remain standing. I became so passionate about this a year ago. So passionate about this fire. When I had to drive three hours to Houston to preach on Sunday morning from my home in Austin. And from the moment I woke up to the time I arrived at that church, I could not stop crying and praying and speaking in tongues. It was such a heavy burden. I could not move away from it. The only thing God spoke to me on that three-hour drive as I wept under the Spirit of God was God said, preach on the fire. a sermon about that. What do I preach? Hang on just one second. Go ahead, Elder. 
receive that tonight. Just take a moment and receive that. I receive that tonight, Lord. I'm humbled by your word, God. What is man that thou would be mindful of us, that you would speak to us? Hallelujah. The Lord told me, he said, I want you to preach on the fire of my spirit. I desire to fill my people with my fire. I got to that church. I couldn't hardly think straight during the worship. What am I going to preach? I got up and preached. We had people come to the altar. We had several people. We had at least 10. I remember that Sunday morning received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And as I'm leaving, there's this family from India that called my name and they said, Brother Green, we've got to talk to you. I gave them a picture. They may have it. This is the family from India that got my attention. The man standing next to me, <laughs> he said, I've got to talk to you. He said, we just moved here from India a couple of months ago. He said, my father here is Greek Orthodox. My mother, which is next to him, is Roman Catholic. I said, what are you doing here at a Pentecostal church? He said, that's what I want to talk to you about. He said, several weeks ago, I began to have a dream. It was a dream that stirred me so much. I thought I should tell my dad, but I was reluctant until I had this dream. Every night, I couldn't hold it in anymore. And I told my dad this dream one morning at the breakfast table. He said, to my surprise, my, my dad's eyes widened open and said, son, I have been having the same exact dream. I've had the same exact dream. He told me in this dream, he said, it'll be hard for me to articulate it. He said, but in this dream, we're standing in church, and all of a sudden, a fire comes down. And he said, it begins to fill the entire room. This is what he said. As it moves in a circular motion, like a wind out of control. <laughs> he didn't have our vocabulary. He would have said a rushing mighty wind if he had known any better. But he said it moved like a wind out of control. He said what was amazing is the people, their response. They weren't afraid of it. They were running and reaching for it. He said when they would reach for the fire, the fire would reach for them. It would consume them. And he said you'd think they would die, but they didn't die. They would get even louder. They'd start dancing and shouting and rejoicing as they were filled with this fire. He said I, when I knew, I found out that my dad had been having the same dream. I told him. We need to go find this fire. That morning, he said, as we sat here in the pews, as we sat here in the seats and they started singing, he said, I got goosebumps in church for the first time. I started crying in church for the first time. And he said, I thought to myself, this might be the place. He said, then you got up to preach and you said, today I'm going to preach on the fire of the Holy Ghost. He said, I thought this really might be the place. He said, but when you came down and you laid your hand upon my sister's head, and I looked over, and she was speaking in other languages as you were praying for her. He said, I elbowed my dad, and I said, Dad, we found the fire. We found the fire. <laughs> 
I just want to let you in on a little secret uh, that you found the fire too uh, and the fire has found you. Uh, is there anybody that can testify to the fact uh, that if it wasn't for the fire, uh, if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, uh, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, uh, I would be dead in my sin. Uh, but I found the fire. Just do what you feel to do for a moment in this place. Just do what you feel to do for a moment. If you feel like shouting, then do it. If you feel like clapping, then do it. If you feel like dancing, then do it. If you feel like jumping, then do it. If you feel like running, then do it. But somebody reach out for the fire. Right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, this is where the fire falls. I feel to do something in the Holy Ghost. Ah, God is about to invite you. God is about to invite you to do something you don't always do. <laughs> and you have the liberty, the luxury of blaming what you're about to do on the revival. I don't normally do this, but it's revival. If you're afraid of getting criticized, I just gave you your comeback. Sorry, it was revival. I know I don't normally do that. You're right. That, that was crazy, but it was revival. I think a better comeback ought to be. <laughs> you're right. I don't normally do that, but I've been cold for a while. And you can stay in the smoke all you want. But I want to jump head first into the fire of the Holy Ghost. You can stay on the fringes all you want. But I want to be right in the epicenter of the fire of his spirit. You're right. That was crazy. That was ridiculous. But I'm ready for something fresh. I'm ready for something new. I'm ready for the fire. So get ready. If you need to get room, go ahead. Get ready right now. You're about to be invited into the fire. If you need to get out of your pew, get out of your pew. If you need to get in the front, the back, the balcony. If you need to run outside, just get ready. Because in just a moment, God is about to invite you to be filled with the fire. Consumed by the fire. Ha, yeah, they can't
Maybe somebody wants to grab the hand of a friend, a brother, a sister, a family member and say, come on. Ah, come on. I'm not going to get the fire alone. You're going to get it with me. Come here, my brother. You're going to get the fire with me. I'm not going to get it by myself. I don't want to be on fire by myself. Fire is contagious. Fire doesn't stop. Fire's not stagnant. But fire moves like a wind out of control. That's it. Come on, get somebody, get somebody, get somebody, get somebody, get somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Bokoto Now, now listen. When I say, oh, Jesus, Pastor Urshan, Pastor Sizemore, I speak a prophetic word right now that there is about to be a divine, notable expression of God's healing power that moves into this place. The fire of the rushing mighty. Do you know what fire does? It purifies. Those of you with a disease are about to be purified. Those of you with sickness and pain are about to be Those of you that haven't had a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost in a long time, you're about to get the fresh fire of God. Listen, when I simply say, in the name of Jesus, when I say in the name of Jesus, you and the person you're standing with, you're going to begin to do something you haven't either ever done or it's been a long time since you've done it. And when you know that you're giving a sacrificial praise, see, you know it's a sacrifice when it costs you something. It may cost you pain because you got pain in your body. It may cost you your dignity because you don't care about your reputation anymore. But when you give God a sacrificial praise at the sound of the name of Jesus, the fire is going to fall upon your sacrifice. The fire of God is going to consume your sacrifice. Healing and deliverance. Healing and deliverance will take place. Get ready. Close your eyes and just get ready. I want you to see what you're about to do. And I want you to see what he's about to do. I want you to see what you're about to do. And I want you to see what God's about to do. By the authority of the word of God, I bind every sickness. I take dominion over every spirit of opposition. And I release the gift of faith for your fire to fall in this house. In the name of Jesus.
Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. This is where the fire falls.
If you have a family member that is backslidden, a family member that is lost, if you have a child that is lost, if you have a child that is not living for God, I want you to lift up your hands right now. I feel such an unction of the Holy Ghost. If you have a child that is wayward, a child that is lost, if you have a loved one that is lost, I want you to lift up your hands right now. I want you to begin to declare the prophetic word of God for your child, for your family, that when you begin to lift up your voice, you are declaring, God, this is where the fire falls. Your spirit is going to fall on my child. Your spirit is going to fall on my family. Your spirit is going to fall on my husband. The fire of God will consume them again. Reach out, reach out, reach out. In the name of Jesus, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. This is where the fire falls.